Thank you for listening to Action in Ministry. We want to hear about your ministry or a ministry you love. Text the word ACTION to 484848 and a producer will contact you for your idea. When a refugee makes their way to America, they're looking for safety, for peace, for love. They need a refuge. Many have lost everything they've known, careers, connection to their culture, contact with their family members. Abba's House in Houston, Texas, sees God's heart for the oppressed and joyfully joins to welcome those seeking a new life in the United States. Hear how Abba's House protects, loves, and serves refugee women and children. That's on this Action in Ministry. Inspiring you to be the hands. Empowering you to be the feet. Strengthening you to be the heart of Christ for others. Action. Action. Action in ministry. Hi, I'm Rachel Legute, and this is Action in Ministry. Transitioning from one, sometimes war-torn country, to another and seek of refuge can be daunting. Our guest today, Michael Meisner, saw a need to help welcome refugee women and children as they begin life in the United States. He's the founder of Abba's House just outside of Houston, Texas. Michael, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm glad to be here. Well, what first sparked your connection to refugees? What what was your interest in this group of people and helping to um, ease their transition to a new country? Um, I work with refugees. goes way, way back, actually, to a church that I was part of in Colorado probably 15 years ago when uh, kind of randomly, I'm not even sure how it happened, but we, uh, as a church, sponsored a couple of the Lost Boys of Sudan. It was mm-hmm. uh, a group of literally... Uh, like something like 70,000 children, refugees that were wandering around, ended up in a U.N. camp. And then the U.S., for humanitarian reasons, accepted them, and many of them came here to the United States. And so our church sponsored a couple of them. We met them at the airport. We helped them get into their apartment. And that was really my first exposure to refugees. And my heart was just grabbed by them. Amazing stories, heart-wrenching stories. But as we got to know them and become friends with them, I just was so compelled by, uh, you know, their journey and then the opportunity we as a church had to welcome them in. So ever since then, I've been involved in some form or fashion in, in refugee work. Well, let's let's talk a little bit more about that. I think that, you know, we have this idea of people kind of understanding what a, what a refugee's situation might look like a little bit, but not everyone has the opportunity to come into face-to-face um, like connection with somebody who's fleeing their home country to arrive here. Sure. Like, what did you learn through that experience in Colorado about the plight of the refugee? Sure, and you know, people come to the U.S. as immigrants in so many different ways, but the the refugee is kind of a a specific group within uh, all those uh, different journeys. And the refugee is uh, arguably some of the ones that have seen the worst that the world has to to offer. So almost always they're from. Uh, you know, situations of intense uh, violence or persecution. Oftentimes, it's a war that would drive them from their country to the point where it's not safe to go back. Um, they're in a, another country that uh, often cannot keep them long term, and so these are people that literally have no home, no place to go home to, no citizenship, and and oftentimes they're stuck in a UN refugee camp for ten, fifteen, sometimes twenty years. 
and just waiting, waiting for an opportunity to go somewhere and do something. And so a small, small percentage of those get accepted by host countries, countries like the United States or Canada or Australia, different places will will welcome them in and say uh, they go through an intense vetting process and all of that. But uh, as they're accepted, then they are welcomed into that country, given a new chance at life and opportunity for citizenship, things like that. Well, you were obviously impacted by this connection. Um, Enter Abba's house. Tell us a little bit about the work that you do with that. Yeah, so when I got here to Houston, we continued doing refugee work, and oftentimes it was us driving downtown in Houston. We're kind of in the suburbs, driving downtown to Houston, and everything from just helping get apartment in their uh, furniture in their new apartment to uh, our VBSs. We would do, instead of having them at church, we'd go do them in the parking lot of the refugee apartment complex to you know, going and sharing meals with them and just getting to know them. But it was a pretty long drive. And so we kept having in our heart a desire to, um, you know, to, to be more connected with them on a daily basis. And from that, ultimately, because of the work we did uh, with the agencies here, came up with a, a, a concept for ministry that grew into Abba's house. It's basically a, a home that uh, is put at the back of our church property. We built a home and are in the process of, of you know, building out a campus and adding some cabins and things like that. But uh, it's basically a home where right as a refugee arrives here in the U.S., we work with the resettlement agency, and rather than them going to an apartment downtown and just kind of being dropped there and, and you know, that very short runway they have to, to make it in the U.S., we take them first. So we'll meet them at the airport. We bring them home to our house. We um, you know, give them a hot meal and, and a, maybe their first safe night's sleep in a long, long time. Mm-hmm. And, and for a couple of months, before they began the normal resettlement process, for a couple of months, we just simply show them the, the love and the compassion and the hospitality of Jesus. And so they, they come, and my family lives in a part of the home, and then there's a wing set aside for the refugees. Uh, every single uh, day, there's uh, volunteers from the local community, the, the churches around us, who will come in and, and work with the women and the children, um, either on... English lessons or, uh, you know, everything from how to cook in our kitchen. A lot of them have never been around our modern appliances to taking them to the grocery store and showing them how to navigate that to uh, how do you get online and and, uh, fill out a form or uh, write a job resume or, you know, a thousand different little skills that are very natural to the people that are sitting in our churches because we're familiar with our culture. But to somebody coming from uh, a refugee camp, and particularly a, a more remote area, it's just an overwhelming, you know, sense of uh, I don't even know where to begin. And so it's it's just a neat, neat opportunity for uh, everyday Americans to walk alongside somebody and show show them the just the, the heart of Jesus. What? How many people are being served by Abba's House? Like, how many people live there at a time? Uh, well, so right now we're just started, so we, we've only been up and running for about a year, so there's just the initial house right now, and in the home, my family lives in part of it, and then we have two rooms uh, set aside for refugees, and there are six beds in each room, so we can accommodate two families at a time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've uh, uh, also done a master plan, and there's plans to add uh, three cabins uh, in addition to what we have. So, you know, ultimately, when we're running at full speed, there will be enough for three or four families at a time. And then they stay here for two months, so there's a pretty rapid turnover. And, um, yeah, so uh, for most of the time, we've only had one family at a time, and then we take a little breather, 
uh, just uh, actually last week, we finished up a stint where we had for the first time two families in at the same time. How do people find out about Abba's House? Like, how do you get in touch with people who are in need of your services? Well, that's actually worked out really well through the agency. So the national agency is the Lutheran Immigration Refugee Services, and we have great relationships and connections with them. And uh, so on the national level, they're actually in charge of, uh, along with some of the other agencies, of all the refugees that are coming in to the U.S. uh, through this program go through them. They basically have a draft every week where they sit down, and, and of all the families coming in, they'll divide them up, and then they'll send them to the various cities. So when, uh, up in Baltimore at the national level, when they see a mom or a mom with ch- uh, children coming in who, who seems to fit the bill of what Abba's house uh, can serve, you know, somebody who's been from an extreme trauma situation or, um, you know, is from a very remote area where they're going to need a little extra help, they'll say, ah, that's a good candidate for Abba's house, and they'll, they'll draft them, they'll take them, and then send them to Houston and through the local agency here, which is Refugee Services of Texas. They um, know about us, they work with us, and so rather than them taking the family immediately and putting them in an apartment, they uh, instead turn them over to us, and we work side-by-side with the agency. So the the agency still does things like, you know, processing all their paperwork and all the health things and the things that a refugee normally would get from, from the government. And then we walk alongside them and provide the heart and the compassion and the friendship and the, you know, the mentoring that we do. So when people come to you, are, are you like their point of entry to the country? Yes, literally. I mean, we're standing there with a the sign at the airport saying, welcome, you know, with their name. And they come in and oftentimes they only have just a, a suitcase or a bag that is the refugee, uh, you know, issued bag that they, they bring in. And we sign for them at the airport and they come home with us. So it's a, to me, such a unique privilege of arguably the big transition point of their life. And we get to welcome them in the name of Jesus. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you, you spoke a little bit to the types of situations that people are fleeing um, when, they, when they come to the United States as a refugee. But where are you receiving people from? Where, where are they coming from? What types of cultures? Well, that, that changes constantly because, you know, as, as uh, situations flare up around the world, it will change. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, the, the group that we predominantly have been receiving are Congolese. So they're from the Democratic Republic of Congo in Africa. Mm-hmm. And then they, they actually come from a camp in one of the surrounding countries. So either uh, Kenya or Rwanda or Uganda is where they would end up. But uh, ethnically, they are, they are uh, Banya Malenge from the, the Congolese. And so you welcome them into your home for two months. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, it's interesting. It's rich and it's beautiful and it's stressful and challenging and everything all mixed uh, in together. So what kind of needs, what are the needs when they, when they show up? Well, I mean, right at the beginning, they just need somebody to, to care for them, to love them, to make them feel safe. They come in wide-eyed, having no idea what to expect, and it's a, a strange country to them. And so for the first few days, they need a whole lot of sleep. They need food mm-hmm. that, that they can eat. A lot of times, you know, their stomach doesn't handle typical American food real well. Um, sometimes they'll speak English and sometimes not at all. And so, you know, we may need a, a translator who can come in and, and help them feel welcome. But, you know, at the beginning, it's simply a safe place where they can get their feet under them. Uh, after four or five days, they're, you know, getting feeling a little bit better and, and uh, comfortable. And so at that point, then we begin with all the volunteers, because really our, our goal is to uh, take people who are coming in with, you know, with all sorts of challenges and 
and get them to a place where they have a fighting chance at making it in the U.S. So, you know, we, we do all the, the, the training. We really push the English lessons because that, that helps them so much. So we have a local ESL program we send them to a couple days a week. We have people come and encourage a lot of conversation. But it's just all the basic skills and the things that they will need to know that they likely didn't get back in the camp. I mean, for some of them, it's simple things like the difference between hot and cold running water. Some of them have not been around it. Mm-hmm. Um, others come in and they're much more educated and they're they're familiar with our ways. So it it really is tailored to each refugee and where they're coming in and, and what they have. So after two months, what does their transition look like after their care in Abba's house? Yeah, so that, that's where uh, working so closely with the agency is good because normally when a refugee would come on day one, they get put in an apartment and the you know the agency takes care of that. Uh, when they come to Abba's house, that's all put on pause, and we take them for two months. So when they're done with us, uh, they get turned back over, if you will, to the agency who puts them in their apartment, and it's like it's day one for them. That's when they begin uh, their, you know, their little runway that they, they have through the government. But they're in a much, much better place. Um, you know, we're still following up with them and surrounding them with, with the follow-up and the care. And, uh, but now they begin that, that normal pathway that they would have had um, from day one if they hadn't have come to Abba's house. As you've started receiving people into your care there, how have you seen your guests, the refugees, respond to the type of care they're receiving in your home? Oh, that's been one of the most beautiful parts because I mean, we're total strangers to them. They, they, you know, they're surprised, surprised to see us as anything. <laughs> um, and so uh, it just has really touched my heart at a, you know, a very critical point in their life when there's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of fears, just to be able to be a, a friendly face to them and show them love and welcome. I mean, we become instant family. Uh, you know, every single one of them within days is calling us daddy or mommy and uh, uncle and auntie and whatever, you know, whatever their term of affection, but it's always a, a family name. And so, you know, to a person as they leave, there's always hugs and cheers and this is my family and, you know, just those words that mean so much, especially knowing that in, in almost all their cases, their family has been torn away from them or killed or you know, just some horrific, horrific stories. And so to be able to step in and in the midst of all that other changes, uh, be a, a face and a voice of, of love and compassion that, that turns into family is just a, a very humbling privilege. How have you seen God work in these families' lives and in their experience in the weeks that they spend with you? Oh, just in a million ways. Um, you know, honestly, yeah, every single one of them has come in, at least with some level of, of Christian faith so far. Mm. Uh, we may someday have ones that are of different faith and all, but so far they've had at least a basic Christian faith. And in many cases, their faith just blows me away. It is so deep and profound because they've been— you know, they've had everything taken away from them except God. You know, I see God at work. Uh, to me, one of the big things is that we we just get to echo that reminder that we have a good God. And even in the midst of all the hurt and all the struggles that they faced, they see as they're beginning their new life, but God is faithful. He didn't forget me. He He had me this whole time through all the hard season, and now I have a new beginning and I have hope and, you know, all the promises that are there in Scripture— of weeping may remain for a night, but joy comes in the morning, and and we get to be part of their morning, uh, their their new beginning, their new life, and you know so they will just testify to the faithfulness of God and how good He is, and and uh, Alba's house gets to be a 
you know, just that confirmation of that in, in their lives. I would imagine as you walk through a great transition period with people in their life that you get to see a lot of really interesting and cool things happen for them as they as they go through this transition period. Like what kind of wins do you get to see and how do you celebrate with people as they maybe learn a new piece of their language? Like what how does that look in your house? Yeah, well some of it's just fun stuff. You know, we get to be a part of a lot of firsts. Like in this most recent family one of the things that delighted me was when I got to take them to the grocery store for the first time. And, you know, all they've ever known is little roadside stands that have some vegetables and maybe some chickens or something. And when I took them into the local grocery store, which is just huge, you know, they were marveling <laughs> at every section and, whoa, Father, look at this. And, you know, and the funniest is when we came to the bakery, the cake section, and their eyes got as big as saucers and they were literally jumping up and down with delight at all those cakes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so just little things like that where you get to experience the first for them or, you know, as simple as when we rode the elevator at the airport, and they're hanging on for dear life because they've never <laughs> been on something like that that moves. And, and so some of it's just, you know, fun seeing our world through their eyes. But then there's, you know, there's successes and things that happen along the way as they come back from English classes and learn something or as they get on the, the computer for the first time and, and just marvel at how they can look up a, a video that shows their home country and, and you know, be connected to something back home and singing the music and, you know, those kinds of things where, where they just, um, they, they experience some of the riches and the richness of, of what is going to be part of their new life. And then we just enjoy life with them. Um, you know, a lot of the celebration is not just with my family, it's with the volunteers that come in and watching those friendships develop and the deep, deep connections that, that are a big goal of this is, is not simply caring for the refugees, but the connections with the American volunteers. And, you know, that goes on and continues to this day with all the families that have gone through. They have bonded with different, um, different volunteers who remain a part of their life. And, you know, they talk and they uh, send Christmas presents to each other and, you know, stay connected, which is a beautiful, beautiful thing. There are a lot of different types of organizations that work with refugees who are coming to our country. How do you think the gospel changes the course of this work for you? Oh, in, in, in every way, because, I mean, that's really the heart behind it for us. Um, you know, there's a lot of agencies and a lot of different groups, and they do good work and important stuff. But, but when you're motivated by the gospel, there's just a, a different heart behind it. So, like, the agencies that work for the government, they do great work. But, uh, you know, they have boxes they need to check and, and tasks that they need to do. And then when the refugee is done with it, they need to go on to the next refugee because it's their job. And, you know, they do, do a great job at what they do. But when it's a ministry and when it's something that the gospel is impacted, you're doing it because this is what Jesus did for us. And he came and he loved us when we were, uh, when we were in desperate situation. And so when you're expressing it because of your faith in Jesus Christ, you're loving for a different reason, and you're caring for a different reason, and and you know so the gospel motivates you to 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 do this kind of thing, whether it's with refugees or homeless or with the the person next door. It's the gospel that motivates you to love and care, and so it's on a different level. It's there's there's an eternal story that's part of it, mm-hmm. and you're you're genuinely trying to connect with them at a soul level, not just meeting physical needs or accomplishing some agenda. I would imagine that this work is not without its challenges from time to time. 
I wonder, oh, definitely. <laughs> what are some of like maybe the hurdles that you have to jump or, or some of the roadblocks that you've learned to navigate along the way? Yeah, there, there definitely are, are challenges. Um, I mean, some of it is just the political climate here in the U.S. You know, there is so much loaded stuff that goes in with the whole uh, politics of, of immigration and refugees. And, you know, and so we've, we've kind of tried to stay out of it and say, let's just look at it through the eyes of faith. And this is a person that is loved by God, uh, that he has placed in our path, and we're going to love them in Jesus' name. There's a place for politics and for all that to get hashed out at the national level, but but uh, we're, we're here simply to love and to serve. Um, but then on a very personal level, I would say the, the challenge really is it, it's hard to live with people. Mm-hmm. It's hard to live with people who are like you, much less it, really hard to live with people who are radically different from you. And so, you know, under the same roof, um, while we have our own sleeping quarters and all that, we share a kitchen, we share a living room, we, we eat together around the same table. And, um, and, and that's challenging because... Somebody who comes in from another country, they parent differently than we will. They cook different foods. They eat different foods. They uh, they interact differently. And, and so, you know, for my entire family, this has very much been a part of our life because we share a home with them. And while there's some richness in it and things that we love, sometimes it gets really loud and chaotic. And you can't just walk out into the living room and it be your family. It's There's always somebody there. And there's volunteers in and out. And you know, it, it's a beautiful part of it, but it, it can get really challenging and and taxing for the family as well. So that's probably been the uh, the hardest hurdle. How do you and your family of origin, the ones that you, you know, came into mm-hmm. this house with, how do you guys navigate those difficult situations and those hard days where it gets loud and you kind of wish that you could just sit on your couch alone and veg out for a minute? Right. <laughs> how do you guys navigate uh, I mean, that? We're still learning that. You know, it's, uh, I wish we could say we have it all down perfectly, but we don't. Uh, we're only a year into it, and we'll probably never get it down perfectly. But we try to, you know, try to carve out times and seasons. So, like, right now, uh, the last family just left uh, a week ago, and we have a little reprieve. And we've learned we have to build in those, those seasons of it's just our family. And then, you know, in a couple of weeks, we'll contact the agency and say, all right, I think we're ready again. And, and they'll send us another family. But um, we carve in that time just to rest and, and to be as a family. Uh, we try to celebrate uh, after a family leaves. We go out and we'll have a, you know, a big dinner and uh, eat a nice steak dinner and celebrate. Woo-hoo, we survived another one. <laughs> um, you know, things like that. And, you know, just trying to talk through, um, hey, what's working? What's not working? And, and, you know, those are sometimes hard conversations. And it brings out some of the just the, the, the junk of, life and, and people and you know, what we're dealing with. And like everyone else, we have good days and bad days, but that's also um, where you see Jesus at work because he's shaping us and he's growing us. Uh, and, and we're very much a part of this journey too of, of being shaped by Jesus. How has this ministry impacted you personally? Why do you keep at it and keep pressing forward? Yeah, great question. That, it has just totally transformed my journey with Jesus. I've been in ministry. I'm a pastor of a church also, and I love church ministry. But American Christianity looks a particular way, and oftentimes it's fairly neat and packaged and controlled. You know, there's a certain um, experience you have in American Christianity. And uh, while I love that, and there's been some good parts of that, I also would go through the scriptures and read and you know, following Jesus is a raw and messy and roll up your sleeves and mingle with, with with all sorts of people in all sorts of situations. 
kind of journey. And oftentimes my church journey didn't seem to resonate with that. That's what I've loved about this journey is, is it has taken me way out of my comfort zone. It has pushed me and stretched me. It has uh, brought me face-to-face with the, the very people that Scripture talks about over and over and over again, the orphan, the widow, the foreigner. Caring for, for that person um, is, is everywhere in Scripture. And so as we've trusted Jesus and, and leaning into that and uh, opening up our lives and our home and, and everything to that, it has um, made my, my, my journey with Jesus a very authentic one. I read the Scriptures now, and, and you know, I can resonate with the joys, and I can resonate with the struggles and the, you know, the, the wins and the failures and all of that, that that has just been a beautiful part of the journey. So I've, I've come face-to-face with a lot of my own inadequacies. Uh, I've been stretched to limits that <laughs> remind me that I'm not ever in charge and it's always God. Uh, things like that. And it's just been a beautiful, uh, I, I've learned so much from the refugees about what it means to trust God, what it means to to move forward when you have nothing else but God. Um, they they have just inspired me. I admire them to no end. Uh, some of the, the most inspiring people in my life have been the refugees that we've served. Tell us about the most recent family that you had staying with you. Oh, I'd love to. So uh, the family, they just left a week ago. And um, Probably we've had five families so far that have gone through, and this one arguably was, was the toughest story. Um, they've just been through so much. Uh, the, the girl that came in, she's only 18 years old, and she had a four-year-old daughter. And uh, one night as we had a community dinner and invited her to you know, share as much or as little of her story as she wanted to, she told us her whole story. And uh, in her 18 years of life, she has seen more than uh, anybody should ever see in a lifetime. But uh, in short, I'm not going to go into the details because it's her story to tell, not not, not mine. But um, uh, in, in, a, in a short version of it is, at the age of eight, uh, her village was raided by armed men who came in and killed a bunch of them, and the ones that they didn't just scattered to the wind. And so middle of the night, she, uh, I think her mother grabbed her and her father grabbed a couple of the other kids, and they were just running. And, and in that journey, she got separated from her mom, captured by the, the, the enemies, and just a whole series of horrific things that happened. So she hadn't seen any of her family since age eight. She was held captive for a long time. She ended up uh, breaking away and running for her life and um, ended up then in a refugee camp, didn't know if her family was alive or dead. I mean, just a horrific, horrific story. Ultimately then came to us from a camp in Kenya. And when I brought her home from the airport, I asked her, I said, do you, do you have anybody here? Do you know anybody? Do you have any family? And she, in her quiet voice, said, I have nobody. And uh, that just kind of broke my heart of, you know, <laughs> being her um, just so alone and vulnerable. Well, in her time at, at Abba's house, um, you know, we went through all the, the normal program and all. And, and at, at one point uh, in the journey, she was uh, beginning to look at where she was going to go after Abba's house and had been talking to a friend from Ohio who had another friend in Missouri, and they were all talking. And, and at one point, this uh, acquaintance and connection in Missouri sent her a picture of her husband who was still at a refugee camp back in Kenya. And Iwasi looked at it, and she said, that's my oldest brother. And so it turns out her sister-in-law lives here in the U.S., and her brother is alive. And just seeing that connection, that the one who thought she had nothing, uh, God was faithful to her, and he's beginning to put back together her family. And that was just a beautiful, beautiful thing. So 
Um, when she was done with us, she now has transitioned on and moved to be with family. She's with her sister-in-law. And God willing, her brother-in-law or her brother will ultimately be able to join them and, and uh, this family begin to be put back together again. <sighs> My goodness. <laughs> mm. And, I mean, it, it was one of the most um, disturbing, heart-wrenching, and inspiring things I've ever heard. Um, those are the stories that, that change us. It's becoming more and more common for us to hear about immigration and people coming to this country on a variety of different levels, but there's some level of awareness that people are fleeing hard situations to enter the United States. And if somebody is listening and they're interested in becoming involved in this process and they want to um, be loving um, our new neighbors who are coming here to the United States, how would you encourage them to get started? What would you advise them to do? Just start by making a friend with somebody who is not like you. You may have somebody already through your work or through uh, your kid's school or something like that or in uh, almost every major city, there are, are groups that welcome in refugees. Find one of them and, and see how you can get involved. And, you know, just get to know somebody from another culture and and offer yourself to them. Um, have a meal with them. Invite them over to your house. Go to their house. Uh, let the children play together at the, you know, the playground and the apartment complex. Um, get to know another family. And once you hear their story and get drawn into their story, uh, from that friendship, uh, there, there are going to be so many opportunities to, to meet more friends, to get involved, to, to um, you know, show the love of Jesus to people in their community, because uh, they're all around us, and so often we just don't see. And, and as we go onto their turf, go into their world, and, and offer friendship, uh, beautiful, beautiful things happen. Start by making a friend with someone who's not like you. That is, I think, a beautiful cue for us um, as we go about our days. Uh, Michael, you said that the stories of the refugees have inspired you, and your story has inspired us today. Thank you so much for sharing about the work of Abba's House. Well, thank you for having me. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Micah 6, verse 8. This verse found in the book of Micah is one Abba's house holds dear. They understand our calling to protect others, to love others, and to serve others. They do it beautifully. How are you called to do the same? It might also be to the refugee, but it might be to your neighbor or another group God has put on your heart. How will you respond to the calling to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God? That's Action in Ministry. I'm Rachel Legute. Thank you for listening to Action in Ministry. We'd love to hear how you and your church are ministering to your community. To submit ideas for this podcast, visit our website, lhm.org forward slash action, and send us an email.